Please turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. We will be looking at the Galatians passage, though, if you want to keep that in mind. Tonight, as uh, Chris so rousingly encouraged you, we are studying the book of Revelation tonight, and we're going to be finishing those last wonderful two chapters. And it was so wonderful to re sing that Andrew Peterson song because it so much drew from the richness of the final two chapters of the Bible and what it means to see the new heavens and new earth. So I, I see it as a preview of what heaven is going to be like. And so I want to really encourage you uh, this evening to come to, um, to, to the Bible study. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would please be with us as we come to study your word, and we pray that you would just give us that, that power from the Holy Spirit that where our eyes are opened, our hearts are opened, we, we hear from you through your word, that, that wonderful, powerful demonstration of your spirit and power coming through the preached word. We pray that you would please come, and we pray that you would help us, and I pray this morning, Father, for all of us, that you would protect us as we study something and that we would know this truth so well that we would be protected as we leave this place and live our lives from those false religions and those false expressions of Christianity that Paul actually had to confront Peter over. We pray that you'll give us grace and you'll help us in this. Bless us now, we pray. Open your word now, we ask. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I was in prayer and I was meditating um, sometime in the last couple of weeks. And it may have even been in the middle of the night because uh, <clears throat> one of the challenges for me in my old age is I don't sleep real well. And so one of the blessings of that is I pray a lot at night. And uh, what David called the night watches. But <clears throat> sorry, I'm having problems with my throat. I can't remember exactly where and when I prayed this prayer. But I was praying, excuse me one second, I'm going to get my throat remedy going here. I was praying, and, um, I, um, and I said to God, God, I thank you so much, and I love you so much, and you are my Abba Father. And, and then I said this, I said, Lord, your son Jesus Christ means everything to me. <clears throat> and at that point, I paused. I paused at that point, and I thought, my salvation is a miracle. It is a miracle that an egotistical, self-centered, sin-loving brat, that, that, that brat kind of summarizes my childhood. <clears throat> my sister's here. She can actually affirm that. <laughs> brat. An egotistical, self-centered brat like me, who was all about Todd, could at 3 o'clock in the morning say, God, I love you so much, and your son Jesus means the world to me. That was a miracle. It was a miracle of God's grace. And salvation is a miracle. And that's what Paul was trying to get at here in the book of Ephesians. Salvation is a miracle. In fact, as he says, look in Ephesians 2. That's where, we're, where we've been studying. I, I was having an experience at that point where I was saying, this guy who's described in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, 
dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, verse 2, following the prince of the power of the air, verse 3, a son, I'm sorry, verse 2 be a son of disobedience, verse 3, following the lusts of my flesh, fulfilling the desires of my flesh and mind, a child of wrath, that for somebody like that to say, God, I love you and your son means the world to me, is a miracle. And it is a miracle. It's a miracle of grace. Because then what Paul goes on to say, and this is kind of review of where we covered so far, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God loves his enemies. And God raises his enemies with his own great power from the dead. That's what this means. God raises his... Now think about this. We don't want... We don't raise our enemies from the dead. We don't even want our enemies... In fact, we want our enemies to die. We want them to be dead. We don't raise them from the dead. And in fact, if our enemies die, we're happy. Do you ever see those? They, they, they always have this scene in, in these uh, cop shows that they have now where uh, somebody dies... And they say, well, let's go find out who might do this. Uh, well, he has an, a, a divorced wife or estranged wife. So they knock on the estranged wife's door and they say, hey, um, uh, so-and-so died. And she says, good. She says, good. She said, I didn't do it, but I wish I did. And that's the way we are. We, we hate our enemies. We want our enemies dead. God's not like that. God's the opposite. And this is what Paul was saying here is that although we were enemies of God, although we were dead to God, God made us alive together with Christ. God raised his enemy from the dead, and he adopts us as his children. He seats us on his throne next to him. This is who God is. And this is what Paul is trying to get at, is that God saves by grace. Now, what we're going to focus on this week and, Lord willing, next week, is verses 8, 9, and 10. So look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's go through this and see, again, this is sort of Paul summarizing. That's why that word for is used there. That word for is sort of, in light of what I have said before, let me draw these conclusions. And so in verse two, chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Paul wants to keep burning this truth into us. He's been repeating it over and over and over again. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is by grace. It's of God's grace. By grace you have been saved. And basically this is the way Paul's saying this. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and there was absolutely nothing we could do to save ourselves. No effort we could make. We couldn't change our heart. We couldn't take a heart of enmity against God and make it love God. There's no way. A dead person is unable to do this. In fact, a spiritually dead person, remember when we studied this, a spiritually dead person says, 
you're dead to me, God. I don't want anything to do. I don't want to hear from you. You're dead for me. I don't even like you. I'm not coming to you. When people ask me to come and worship you, I have no interest. When people ask me to pray, I don't want to pray. When people ask me to go to a Bible study, I could care less about a Bible study. I'm dead to him. I don't want him. And so a spiritually dead person won't come to Christ. He won't. He's dead spiritually. And In fact, he could say, over my dead body would I come to Christ. I will never love him. That's, that's what it means to be spiritually dead. That's why our friends and our neighbors, we have such a hard time getting them interested. We have a hard time getting them to come. We have a hard time getting them to think about this because the Bible says they're spiritually dead to God. And they won't come to God and they want nothing to do with God and they're dead to God. And you know what God says? Too bad. I love you. I'm going to have mercy upon you. Live. See, that, look at verse 4 and 5. That's what it's saying. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. Okay, you don't like me. Too bad. I love you. Live. That's salvation. I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says this. For it is the God who commanded light to shine into the world, shine out of darkness. Now, he, he's back at before creation. He's back at right at the very beginning of creation when, it, when there was no darkness and God says, let there be light. There's light. It says, for the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God came upon your dead body, came upon your dead soul, he came upon my dead soul dead in trespasses and sins, and he said, let there be light, and the light flooded into our soul, and being, original, being haters of God, being enemies, all of a sudden the light shined in our soul, and we saw the glory of God in the face of Christ, and that was all of pure grace, that was pure grace, and that's what the Bible says when it says we are saved by grace alone. So back down to verse 8, for by grace you have been saved, now notice this, through faith. Grace say, God saves by his grace through faith. God saves us, God saves us by grace, but he saves us through faith. Now, grace is the ground of our, work, of our salvation, faith is the instrument of our salvation. Now, we have to be very careful here. Faith isn't a merit that earns salvation. Faith isn't even our contribution. God does half the work in salvation and we do the other half. That's wrong. That is not what the Bible teaches. Faith is, in, in one sense, it's, it's, it's simply beggar's hands receiving this grace and this salvation that God gives. You say, yeah, but sometimes the Bible uses the phrase, we've been saved by faith. Doesn't that some, make faith a very important? Well, faith is important, but faith does not in any way contribute to our salvation in such a way that it is not all of grace. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. Imagine somebody's walking down the street, and he sees this building is on fire. And there's fire coming out of the windows. There's smoke coming out of it. The building is full of people. There's, uh, there's people in that building. And he immediately pulls out his cell phone and he calls 911. And he says, there's a fire. There's a fire. And he gives the address. Of there. And all of a sudden, you hear sirens. All of a sudden, the fire trucks show up. Guys are running out with hoses, blowing it down. 
Firemen put their oxygen mask on. They go bursting into the building. They go running up the stairs. They find people there that are, that are, that are unconscious. They pick them up. They carry them down. They lay them on the sidewalk. They bring oxygen, and they put the oxygen on them, and they save their lives. Now, sometimes somebody would refer to that situation and say, those people were saved by one phone call. They were saved by one phone call. And that's right. The phone call was the instrument that attached uh, the, the need to the fire station. That's what the phone call did. But the phone call did not drive the fire truck. The phone didn't run up the stairs and grab the people. The phone didn't bring them down and put oxygen on them. That's not what that means. It just simply means that the phone was used, and so they were saved by a phone call. That's the, how you can understand how grace and faith work. Faith is not something that makes salvation happen. Faith isn't something that saves us in that sense. God saves us. God sent his son. God made us alive. God's son died upon the cross. Jesus' blood poured out. That's salvation. That's right. Jesus' body is put in the grave, and God raises him up from the grave. And then God comes to our dead souls and makes us alive. And then when he makes us alive, then we respond by faith. And so salvation is by faith. But the Bible even says that faith itself is a gift. Faith itself. It is so much of grace salvation that faith itself is a gift. Look at how Paul says it in verse 8 there. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And the Bible speaks of faith being a gift from God. Look in Ephesians at the very end of the book. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Look in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 23. Paul says, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Love with faith from God. Our faith comes from God. Look at, you're, you're, you probably have the book of Philippians open before you. Look at verse 29, Philippians 1.29. For to you it has been granted. What has been granted? The word actually there is graced. For to you it has been graced, charis, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer him. Even faith is, is a gift by God's grace. And that's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, we believe. God doesn't believe through us. We believe. Faith is a human activity. We believe. Then how is faith an act of grace? Well, again, a dead man can't believe. A dead man is unable to believe. But if that dead man is made alive, then his faculty and his ability to exercise faith comes alive as well. And that's why Paul says earlier that God raised us from the dead with Christ Jesus. God made us alive, and through making us alive, we believed. Again, let me illustrate this for you. Imagine somebody is, is hiking the mountains or mountain climbing or whatever, and they fall, they fall onto, a, onto the edge of a cliff, but they're down there, and they're really, they didn't fall all the way and they didn't die, but they fell, and they're on this little precipice, and they're just lying there. We don't know if they're alive or dead or not. They're just lying there. And so a guy comes down, and he repels down there. He's, a, he's, he's trained to do outdoor res, uh, rescue. He repels down there, and he finds his body laying. 
And he, and he looks and he checks it out and, he, and he, he checks for a pulse and it's so faint that this guy's in cardiac arrest. He takes out epinephrine, which is a, it's a, it's a manufactured adrenaline, basically. And you've seen it in the movies, you know. But anyway, he shoves it in that guy's chest. He pushes the epinephrine in. That adrenaline causes the guy's heart to start beating. The guy's heart starts beating more, more radically now and he actually comes awake. And the rescuer says, listen, I'm going to grab you, and, I'm gonna, and I need you to reach around my neck and lock your arms around my neck, and then we're going to hop out from this, and, we're gonna, and they're going to pull us up. We're going to climb up. I'm going to get you up out of here. And so they do that. This, this guy weakly puts his arms His heart just started bracing, for goodness sakes. He, he, he's got him, and, and the guy holds onto him, repels back, climbs up. They're pulling. They climb up. They climb up. They get him down. They lay him down there. They get him some water, and he starts to revive, and he comes back up. Now, let me ask you this. Is that guy going to pop up from there and say, whoa, I'm the man. Do you see what I just did? I was down there half dead and now I'm up here. I'm amazing. I can't believe what I did. I can't believe my strength. I can't believe it. No, he wouldn't do that at all. He would turn to the guy who saved him and he'd say, thank you so much. I was half dead down there. You came down. You got me. You, 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 you risked your life. You had the medicine. You, had, you gave me the medicine. My heart leaped in. You, you made me alive again. And all I did was because of what you did, and that's what salvation is. That's why Paul is saying salvation is by grace through faith, and that not of itself. It is a gift from God. God, my ability to even believe in you and love you is a miraculous sign that you gave me life, you gave me grace, you gave me power. My salvation is completely of you. And that's what Paul is getting at. That's his argument. Again, this verse, verse 8, is summarizing all that Paul has said that we've been studying since chapter 1. So let's look at it again and then go to verse 9. For by grace, he says, you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now listen to his next words in verse 9. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation is by grace not of works. Grace and works, Paul is saying here, is very, very different. Two very different things. In fact, Paul makes that very clear in Romans chapter 11 and verse 6 when he says this. He says, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. That's Paul's way of saying grace and work are two very, very different things. In fact, Paul says that grace excludes works as a means of salvation. Or you could put it this way. What works can a spiritually dead person produce? None. Salvation isn't by works. Faith isn't even viewed as a work. Salvation is by grace alone, not of works. And that emphasis is really strong in Scripture, not of works. Now, does that mean that salvation is then by grace and we can live whatever we like and we can live like the devil? No. Paul's going to get to works, and there actually is a place for works. In fact, look at verse 10. But notice that, again, even the emphasis of verse 10 is not our works. It's God's work. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. There's works. Created, there's works, in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're to do good works. We're his workmanship. We've been created by him. And God has prepared beforehand these good works, and we should walk in them. 
So we're going to get to that next week, good works. But right now, what I want to focus on is verse 9 and these three words, not of works. Because this is very important for Paul in his writing. It's very important to understand grace. This is very, in fact, I want to say this. This is so important that if you get this wrong, if you get this wrong, then whatever you believe is something that is not Christianity. It could even be claimed to be Christianity. But if you get this not of works thing wrong, it is not Christianity. And why am I saying that so strongly? Because the Bible says it so strongly. Let's just look at the screen. Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. By the works of the law, no one gets saved, Paul's saying. He goes on to say this in Romans 3.27. Where then is boasting? Now remember, in, in our verse, chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says this, not of works lest anyone should boast. Here he's bringing up this whole boasting thing again. Romans 3, where then is boasting, it is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Now notice, faith and works, he's contrasting them. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. He's talking about the God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, and there it is, grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Boy, that sure sounds like Ephesians 1. Titus 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy, there's grace, mercy, kindness, love, we've studied that. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. There's the miraculous, powerful work of God in our lives. And so you see, there's this emphasis time and time again that it is salvation is not of works. It is not of works. This phrase, not of works, is important. To interject works as a merit, as a means, as a ground, as a necessary part of salvation is to destroy Christianity. It is no longer grace. It is works. Remember how Paul put this in Romans 11. Just remind ourselves. For if by grace, then is no longer works. Grace is over here. Works is over here. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Now, hold that up for a second. Listen to what Paul's saying here. Salvation is either by grace, not of works, or if you decide to insert works, it's not of grace. See that? There's no middle ground here because we're about to get into a bunch of people who claim there's middle ground, okay? And Paul's whole point in this is that there is to be no boasting before God. See, as soon as you bring in works, like, hey, God, look what I did. Look, here's my pedigree. Look at all the stuff I did. God, look, look, look. You should like me. You should, you should let me into heaven. You should, look, look, look what I did. There's no boasting before God. In fact, Paul is very emphatic about this. In 1 Corinthians 1.29, he speaks of, uh, and he says this, we jump in the middle of a sentence, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, of him, 
of grace, of God's sovereignty alone. You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us, Jesus, the wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All of our salvation is Jesus, nothing of us. As it is written, let him who glories, let him glory in the Lord. If there's to be any boasting, we're to be boasting in God, not in ourselves. Now you say, Todd, you're getting fired up. You're obviously on a soapbox here. You got, what's going on, Todd? What's the matter with you? Well, I'll tell you what's the matter with you. Well, just in this instance, the rest of it would take a doctoral dissertation. But in, just in this instance, here's what I want to do for the rest of this sermon, just for application. If you ever had a, a nail you're trying to get out, but it's a big nail, but it's been bent over, and they, the guy, the carpenter, whoever, he didn't want that nail to come out, and so he flipped the board over, he bent it over, and he hammered it, and he bent that nail into that thing. I want to bend the nail over today. Did you ever have a bolt that was put in? And I want to put a bolt in, and I'm going to lather it in Loctite, and I'm going to put it in, and I'm going to put a lock washer on it, and I'm going to bear down on it with everything that I've got, and I'm going to torque up my air wrench, and I'm going to pile that thing on, and then I'm going to spot weld it in place, and then I hope it all rusts in so you'll never get this bolt out. What's the bolt? The bolt is not of works. I want this to be so, because I have a passion that if you and I understand this and grasp this, it's going to save you from lots of error and lots of false religion. And this is important because it's coming. It's here and it's coming, and I want to help you because I believe so passionately about this, this principle of not of works. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you three examples of where not of works... I mean, where works get interjected and what you end up is having something that is very, 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 very watered down to the point of being what Paul calls in Galatians a false gospel. Where are works incorporated into supposedly Christianity? Well, first of all, my first example is this. Religions which incorporate works as an essential part of salvation. Religions that incorporate works as an essential part of salvation. Now, by the way, that's all religions apart from Christianity. Islam with its five pillars, uh, uh, Hinduism with its its cleansing and its regen, uh, you know, regenerate and uh, you know, reincarnation and all that. They they all have all religions are based on works except for true Christianity. But there are supposedly Christian religions that have incorporated works in such a way that those works become a merit. They become a key part of salvation. They become your part. And so they're taking grace and they're infusing works in it and they're coming up with this amalgam that they call Christianity, which Paul says is not Christianity at all because they've infused these works into it. And here I'm referring to the Roman Catholic Church. I'm referring to the Eastern Orthodox Church. I'm referring to the Episcopal Church called the Anglo-Catholic Episcopal Churches. These churches have incorporated merit in. The Catholic Church even has a thing called the Treasury of Merit. The Treasury of Merit, what is that? That is a huge bank account of merit. It includes Jesus' works. It includes Mary's works. It includes all of the saints' works. And these guys were so good that they had all this extra merit. And that merit gets put in the Treasury of Merit. And then through masses, through indulgences, through things like that, you can draw on that merit and you can use it for yourself because you need this merit to get right with God because you need merit to get right with God. That's what Catholicism teaches Eastern Orthodoxy does the same thing through their icons, through their priests. And so you get this amalgam of stuff 
masses, confession, rosary, holy water, pilgrimages, icons, priests, and it all involves merit, 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 merit. And the question needs to be asked. What does not of works mean to you? And by the way, that's the question I ask. I have a very dear friend. He's been my friend for a long time. He actually preached in this pulpit, and now he's Eastern Orthodox. And I asked him. I asked him. I said, you guys don't know him, but I asked him. I said, I just need one question answered. He was trying to talk me into being Eastern Orthodox. I said, I just need have one question that needs to be answered. I need to know what not of works means to you. And I need a legitimate answer because the Bible is very clear in this. And he couldn't answer it. He couldn't answer it. See, this is why the Reformed principle, you'll sometimes hear the word sola being used. Sola means only or alone. The Reformers had five solas. Alone. This alone. Sola Scriptura. Salvation. Uh, Bible alone. But the Bible alone Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, to the glory of God alone. And when they were talking about grace alone and faith alone, they saw grace and faith as I described it to you. Faith isn't a work that adds to grace. Faith is a response to grace, but grace alone. And these religions, these religions that add works to it are false religions. They're false religions. They can't. And I'm not saying everybody in there is going to hell. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying doctrinally these are false religions. And this is what Paul was getting at. So let, let's get, use the second illustration. And that's people who claim to be Bible-believing or fundamentalists in some way. They're, not, they're saying, we're not Catholic. We're not Eastern Orthodox. We're not Anglo-Catholic. We're this. But they have so blended the gospel with works that the works become merit again. And I'll give you some examples of this. Number one is the Amish. The Amish. I had a very dear Amish neighbor, and I said to him once, hey, listen, if I came to you and I said, what must I do to be saved, what would you say? And he looked at me and said, well, I would say become Amish. Take up our lifestyle. Live simply. Get rid of your worldly things. And that's the way of salvation. That's no gospel. That's works. And then the question should be, well, then what does the Bible say when it means not of works. You see that? Now, in Paul's day, and please, this is the Galatians passage that read, and time's eluding me here, but I, I want to I touch this. This Galatians passage. Now, I, have, I know people, and I actually have, have had some friends who, there are, there are, there are groups of evangelicals here. And, and by the way, I'm not talking about anybody locally, because I know some of you know some people locally, but I'm not talking about that. There are groups of Christians who are absolutely mesmerized and fixated by Jewish Jewish things and by the Old Testament. And what they've done is they've incorporated the Old Testament law and, and, and they do it. And that's fine. That's fine. If you want to keep the Old Testament law, you want to keep Passover, you want to keep the... That's fine. You do that. If, that. if that will help you in terms of your relationship with Christ, that's fine. The Bible teaches that. Romans, Romans, Romans 14 teaches that. That's fine. But you can't tell anybody and you can't bind anybody's conscience that all of us need to do that because that's what true Christianity is, because that is a lie. That is wrong. And that's what was happening in Galatia. You see, I mean, in Antioch, when Paul was facing Peter. See, Peter was preaching the gospel, preaching grace, preaching not of works. 
And then all of these Jews, Jewish Christians started coming, and they said, no, 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 you guys, you've got to get back to the Old Testament, back to, no, 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 we need circumcision back, we need the dietary laws back, we need the, the, the feasts back, we need all of these things back, and, and such. And Peter was influenced by this stuff, the Apostle Peter. He was influenced by this stuff, and he started going over with those guys and, 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 and staying away from the Gentiles and wouldn't eat their bacon sandwiches with them and stuff like that. Wouldn't go to pork roasts. And that's why, if you, look, if you still have your Bible open in Galatians, Paul says to Galatians, look at verse 11 through 11. When Peter came, I withstood him to his face. And what did Paul say to him? Look at verse 14. And he said, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. There's the point. There's the point. They were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, not of works as a merit. I said to him, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles, you're a Jew, but you started living like Gentiles. Why are you now compelling Gentiles to live like Jews? And then he explained to the Galatians, because the Galatians were being influenced by this. He explained to them, listen, friends, the law was given as a, as a, as a guardian, as a tutor. We use the phrase wraparound now. The law was given as a wraparound to keep Israel separate, to keep Israel together, to keep them focused on God until Christ came. But when Christ came and the Spirit was poured out and we came to true sonship, we were no longer under that, no longer under that. And so Paul was telling the Galatians, don't keep going back to that. Don't go back under that anymore. In fact, look at chapter 5 and verse 1, what Paul says. And this is where not of works so factored into his understanding of the truth. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which, which, by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to those Old Testament laws, he says. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, listen to this, Christ will profit you nothing. If you decide you're going back to works and away from grace, Christ will profit you nothing. Look at verse 3. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you're going to go that route, you have to keep every single part of the law and you have to keep it perfectly. If you're going to try to find salvation through the law, that's what you have to do. You're going to have to keep it all. And then look at verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly hope for righteousness by faith, not of works, by grace through faith. And that's what these, that's what these, these, these kinds of things can do. Again, fundamentalism. When I, I, when, when, I, when I went off to Bible college, the fundamentalist Bible college, here were the rules. Women could only wear dresses. Men couldn't have beards. No rock and roll music. No movies. No alcohol. No dating. And then they added a new one, thankfully, after I left. King James Version only of the Bible. And here's a big one. Suits and ties in church. And if you didn't do that, there was a question, seriously, of whether you were even saved. That's adding works. That's adding works. Now, I want to put a warning out to especially a younger generation here because I saw it in my generation. And Jan and I, in some ways, were influenced by this, and, and, and we had to wrestle through this. Let me, let me explain what I'm talking about. The 60s and 70s, that was weird time, man. That was Woodstock. That was weird time. It was weird stuff was going on, and everything was going All, all the craziness that we see today, that, it all started back then. And many of us who became Christians came out of backgrounds where we didn't have Christian background. 
And we tended to become very, very legalistic in some ways. We tended to become very, very isolationist because we needed a break from all of that. And I'm seeing that happening again today. I'm seeing that happening in certain circles, certain evangelical circles, certain homeschooling circles. There's this, there's, there's this idea of, it's almost a new legalism. Like you have, to, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to, and it's almost like you have to live a certain lifestyle way in order to be a part of their elite group of real super Christian. Be careful about that stuff, dear ones. Not of works, because the devil loves that stuff, because he can easily twist that into a religion of merit. But let me finally give the last one, because this one is where you and I are. This is where we hit home. And that is a self-imposed works righteousness that we put upon ourselves as Bible-believing, evangelical, reformed, grace-filled Christians. We do this. We do this too. I figured if I'm going to get people mad, get everybody mad at me. Don't just get the Catholics mad at me and the Amish. Get everybody mad at me. So here's what we do. Here's what we do. We go back to works. We slip back into works. We have this list of works. And if we don't perform those works, we begin to believe that God doesn't like us anymore, that we can't approach God, that we can't get near to God. Or if we commit certain sins, that's it. That's a deal breaker. We can't come back to God. We have no grace for us anymore. We have to earn our way back. We have to work our way back. This is a, a, a legal spirit, a legal principle that comes upon and the devil loves to do this because he's the great accuser. I'll give you some examples. We, we miss our devotions for three days or even a week. We miss our devotions. Oh, no. Oh, boy. God doesn't like me anymore. I, I, I got to get back into this so I can get back into a relationship. I got to work my way. I got to merit my way back to God. We fall into sin. We fall into some sin. You told a dirty joke. You got caught up in the office scene, in the workplace scene, you told a dirty joke. You fell back into porn. Or maybe you didn't even fall back into porn, but most advertisements now are semi-porn, so um, you hovered over it too long. You got angry, and you said mean things. There was an office gossip session, and you got caught up in it, and you were gossiping. You are under a lot of pressure. And you, you, got, you were nasty for the past, last few days to your spouse or your family. You got lazy. And you didn't go to church. And you didn't go to Sunday school. You didn't do this stuff. You allowed the world to take your heart far away from them. You went to a party, some old high school buddies. And before you know it, you overdrank. Or you maybe even grabbed that joint that was going around. And so you start to say to yourself, I can't pray. I'm unacceptable in God's sight. I can't go to church. I'm not going to go to small group tonight. I can't talk to God until I get it together. I, 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 I got I, I to do something to make this right. I, I got to clean up my act. I got to read my Bible. And, that, and we got to do all that. That's repentance. I get that. Before God loves me again. But you know what you're doing at this point? You're actually putting yourself back under slavery. Paul said this to the Romans. In Romans 8.15, he says, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You see, dear friends, what you're doing is you're trying to atone for your sins. 
You're trying to do something to make yourself right with God again. And guess what? You'll never be able to do that because you can't atone for any of those sins. There's no atonement. No, you can't go to a priest and get some rosary beads and pray so many thousand our fathers. That's, that's, that's a work. That ain't going to happen. That, that ain't going to get it. No, what you have to do, what I have to do, when we find that we're sinners is what we have to do. By faith, like beggars, we hold out our hand to the only true atoning sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ. We appeal by, his, by the basis of his blood. We come to our Father and we repent and we say that we're sorry and we ask for forgiveness and we ask for forgiveness based on blood and we ask for mercy and we ask for grace and we ask for patience and we ask for kindness and we ask for God's goodness to be poured out upon us and we know we don't deserve it and we know that we're awful and we know that we fall short and we're half thinking that we'll probably do it again because we're such lazy bums anyway and we're so prone to these things and we're so needing grace and we're so pathetic and we're so pitiful, but we need mercy and we need grace. And guess what? Grace and mercy is there for us. And you know what happens when that becomes your mentality? You have nothing to boast about but Christ. You have Christ to boast about. I have a wonderful Savior because I'm a total jerk, but he loves me and he died for me and he cleanses me and he washes me and he's for me. And you know what the Bible tells us to do? And I, I just was too slow on it, and I didn't get this put in the, in the, in the, in, on the screen, so just listen to me. Hebrews 4 says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And here it is. Here it is. Listen, I love this. Therefore, let us come boldly. To the throne of grace. What? Let us come boldly. Why? He could have wrote this. Because it's a throne of grace. And then he says this. There to find mercy and grace in times of need. This is the grace religion. This is the New Testament religion. This is the not of works religion. It is a religion that says, I can go boldly into his presence. I can, what does it mean to go boldly into the presence of God? It's to march in, not because of your righteousness, not because of, because of the greatness of his grace, the greatness of his mercy, his wonderful patience, his long suffering, his, a wonderful high priest who understands everything. It's because of grace, because I know I'll be accepted because I know I'll be loved. Little Danny boy, he came up to me today. I'm all dressed. I'm looking nice. I actually had a new sweater on. He came up to me fresh out of the uh, playground. Dirt all over his hands, dirt all over his mouth, and he ran up to me and he gave me the biggest hug in the world boldly. And that's the way we're supposed to approach God. Because that's grace. We got to get used to grace, friends. It's awkward to be beggars. It's awkward to just cry out for mercy. It's awkward to see our need and to see that all of it is in him. But it's beautiful. Salvation is by grace, not of works. Is there anybody here who needs grace? We all need grace. We will go to hell without grace. Do you want to go to hell? Do you want to die and go to a place where you will suffer apart from God forever how are you going to not go to hell there's only one way 
by grace, through Jesus, through the cross, through the blood, through forgiveness, through justification, through salvation that comes by grace. And what we're going to see next week is when you experience that grace, you will do works, not to earn your salvation, but as a response to salvation by saying thanks. Come to Christ. Come boldly. Find salvation in him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that our salvation is not dependent upon us at all. We thank you that it is by grace. Your grace. You're rich in grace. You're abundant grace. You're exceedingly rich in grace. We've studied these passages. And thank you that we have been incorporated in by your sovereign grace. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Father, we've failed. I'm sure there are many here today who say, yeah, he was describing me. Didn't have my devotions this week. Was mean to my spouse. Was angry. Was worried. Caught up in the world. Saw stuff I shouldn't have. Don't even deserve to be here. Oh, Father, help them. Help us all to understand none of us deserve to be here. We're here because of your rich grace, and we boldly come to you now because you, you, you urge us to to drink of this grace, to be washed by this grace, to live in this grace, and to glorify you. You are our boast. You are our boast. May you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name.